Um, it's uh, the 1st of January of 2023, and I was thinking about this um, when I was thinking about what to talk about and, you know, how to kind of look into this, look at this new year coming and thinking about us. And, I, and what I want to do is, I call it following in the footsteps of the apostles, Acts 29, because here we are, we make a lot of uh, resolutions oftentimes. I don't generally make resolutions, but I try to think of how am I going to, you know, what am I going to do better? What am I going to work for, push for? Um, what will my life look like in 2023? What does God want me to do? I hope you're thinking those things also. What does God want you to do in 2023 that might be different from what you've done in 2022? And then thinking as a church, what will we do? What could we do different? What do we continue? What do we start? Uh, is there something to end? What, how do we do this? And we, because we're involved in a lot of things. I mean, our church is involved in a lot of things. We, we, we do Arizona trips. We just had one in December. We, had, we just did port this past week. And let me just say thank you for those who are involved in that, in uh, feeding and, and helping and sheltering the homeless. It's just an incredible ministry. We are involved in angel tree uh, we are a, a, you know, they can, they count on us every year to minister to kids in, the, in our area. And it's a, it's a powerful, powerful ministry for children who have incarcerated parents. Um, we get involved with CareNet with their bottles. We, we, we did this past year, we brought this up. We had a special offering because we had done so much uh, in terms of benevolent in, within our church and also in our area and just the the people around us that we've ministered to. And then what amazes me, and this is partly because of my position as a pastor, I hear more about what's going on than any individual church member probably, but I hear all the time from people in our church who are involved in things, not directly affiliated with our church, but in serving God in so many different ways. And it's amazing, it's amazing what is happening through the people who attend this church in in, uh, in our area, and even throughout the world. It's, it's just an incredible um, amount of work that's being done and money that's being given and time that's being used for service. And so we, we look at those things, but we can't rest on those. We've got to think about, okay, what, what's next? What's next? Because all these things, they involve risk and cost and effort. They're not necessarily easy. And, and, and we do these things because we want to have this outward focus, not an inward focus. And I was thinking about this because um, CNU just had their, their winter graduation, and they, and they don't call it goodbye. They call it a commencement. A commencement means a beginning. Something new is starting. For us, a new year is starting. And for the disciples, with Jesus and his disciples, he began to appear to them, and this is from Acts 1-3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, what is that? I was reading a guy, and he was saying, this is their graduation. And I was thinking, that's kind of true, but this is also their commencement, right? Really, because now it's like, go, go. You've been taught all this. You've been with me for three years. Now it's all starting to fit together. You're starting to understand it. And, and if you remember, as we've gone through the book of John, there have been a number of places where Jesus is basically saying to them, you don't understand what I'm teaching you now, but you will. So just take this because it'll make sense later. And now it's all starting to make sense. He says, guys, we've got one month. You're finally listening to me, 
like I wanted you to listen to me. You're finally understanding. And so what's most important? What do we focus on? And he says, it's the kingdom. It's the kingdom. And so in the book of Acts, we have a series of, of, pa of passages, of verses over time that show the advancement of the kingdom in that day and age. Let's look, start off with Acts 1.8, a very, uh, a verse that probably a lot of you know, but you or have heard, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he gives them this, this charge. And, and I want you to think about this for a second because this is something that's really unusual. This, it, I don't, there's nothing like it. This whole idea of going and telling and, and impacting people's lives. The, the word conversion is a word that we're all familiar with. It's switching from one faith to another or going from no faith to faith. And, and this kind of a wake-up call from God. Some people, I read one guy called it that. But in those days, there was practically no concept of that word. In the Greco-Roman world, there wasn't conversion. I mean, you had a God that you served or multiple gods, and that was fine. And, and maybe you moved to a new area, and that's an area of a new God. Well, you just pull that new God in. It's not like you're converting. You're just bringing one more in. And they had lots of gods, right? If you changed jobs, you'd get a new God because this, there, there's gods over different jobs and gods over the guilds and there's gods over whether you're a farmer or you're a miner or this or that and the other. There's gods in this area and this area. And that's all fine. See, that was, this is where Christianity was a problem in those days. Because in those days, they would say to a Christian, sure, just add your God to the pantheon of gods. And Christians would have to say, well, I don't think those are gods. They're, they're, not, they're not real. This is the God. This is the one God. And that caused all kinds of problems. And there were these people, the, the Jewish people, who believed in one God. But even for them, if you wanted to convert to Judaism, you had to come to them. They weren't going out and looking for you. You had to come to them. So this whole idea of going is radical. See, we... We've grown, we just, it's nothing to us. But to them, this changed everything. This was life-changing. Go out into all the world and tell everybody that there is one God. That's never been done. This was something totally out of their realm of experience. And they're charging, uh, Jesus is charging them on their graduation day to do something that's never been attempted in the history of the human race. It's brand new. And he says, you'll be my witnesses. And then he tells them where. There's a little map here. And like all maps, this is not, ex I mean, you know, we don't know exact boundaries from back then. But these are the general boundaries. And in this map, if you see in the kind of lower part in the orange, it says Judea. And right next to that is, Beth is, uh, is uh, Jerusalem, in the middle of, Jerusalem, in the middle of Ju Judea. And so he tells them first, go to Jerusalem. Now, for many of them, that's a little intimidating because Jerusalem is a very big, rich cosmopolitan city in their eyes. But okay, and he says, and then I want you to reach Judea, the whole nation. You know, you think about that. That's a big ask. I want you to reach the whole nation. That's a tall order. And then it just gets worse, right? He says, Samaria. Can you imagine him? I always imagine Peter going, 
Uh, no. Samaritans, Jesus, they're half-breeds. You know, they're pagans. I'm not real comfortable with this, but they do. And then he just says, and by the way, the whole world. He mentions one, this place, then this place, then this place, and then he just says, go to the whole world. Now, you think about this, because this is what is so radical about this. Okay, so who's paying for this? We got 12 poor people here, 11 poor guys. There's men and women that have come along. None of them are very rich, at least not many of them. Who's going to pay for all this? How are we going to get there? And Jesus doesn't give them any details. He's a little fuzzy on details. He just says, go to the ends of the earth. This has never been attempted in the history of the world. I think you guys are up to it. That just seemed crazy. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if I charged us to take whatever, literature, and deliver it to the ends of the earth? Who's got Nepal? Okay, who's got Mongolia? Who's got China? Who's got this? Who's got this? Who's got... In this room, everybody be like, Bob, we got jobs. We got families. We just can't go. These guys have jobs. They have families. And Jesus says, you can do it. Go, go, go. You know, this is amazing. This is amazing. To go to men and women of every land, every language, every culture. To go not to get resources, not to get power, just because of the love of God. This has never been thought of before. It's just amazing. On one hill, on one tiny little spot, one crucified carpenter, a rabbi, and 11 guys that end up following him. And he says, now I want you to go and be my witnesses to the whole world. No money, no connections, nothing. Do you realize how laughable this is? How ridiculous this is? We would just think it's nothing except, except, it happened. That's what happened. They went. Evidently, as best we can see, Thomas reached India. There are as small Indian churches along the coast that date themselves back to Thomas. This is unbelievable. They went and it happened. And this is when I would say, let's turn to Acts 29, except there is no Acts 29. The book of Acts ends at Acts 28. We, we are Acts 29. And so, as we look at this book of Acts and we talk about this and we think about the whole world, the next statement I want you to see is from Acts 2:47. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, each one of these verses are going to give us a statement, a question that comes out of this verse. So when we look at this verse, I want you to notice something. Who is at work? Who is it? And I just took the verse down, right? Who is at work? It's God. God is at work. This is important for us to re remember because we live in a culture, we live in a country and a culture that says you are the captain of your faith. You are in charge. You make things happen. If you don't make things happen, nothing's gonna happen. If you don't take care of you, no one will take care of you. So all that kind of, that just gets brought into us and there's some truth in that, but there's also a great lie in that because it takes God to take, change people's hearts. And so, for each one of us, what we have to remember is we think of this new year. Who's at work this new year? God. God is at work. 
We can get in situations, and every one, every one of us have probably dealt at a time, maybe you're talking to someone and you feel this little urge to say something about God, to, to, to witness in some way, and you feel a little afraid, and you feel like, I don't know if I know. What if they ask questions that I don't know the answer to? What if, and you can come up with all kinds of excuses not to, to share with someone. You know, in, in, in a few weeks, my wife and I are going to go away on, on a trip, and we're going to be on an airplane, and, and when I get on an airplane, all I want to do is put on headphones and crawl into a little shell and just not be talked to. Just not be talked to. And years and years ago, I had this seatmate next to me who wanted to talk to somebody. And so they were like, are you, are you watching a movie? I'm like, are you talking to me? That's what I was thinking. I didn't say that. And all of a sudden, I just thought, you know, I just need to talk to this person. God, you know, it's like God's going, Bob, Bob, wake up. I'm trying to make something happen here. And, and we talked some, and we got to share some, and, 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 and it was fine. All of us can fear that, but we have to remember. We all can fear that maybe we're not adequate, and we have to remember, chances are you're not, but God is, and God is the one who's at work. Jesus did not say to his disciples, go into all the world and don't make mistakes, because he knew they would. Will we make mistakes? Yes, we will. Plenty. Plenty. And, and, and so that just, that's what happens. One of my favorite mistake stories. And, and you know, you, sometimes people send you stories or you, you read something in a book or something like that, and you think, is this really true? And I, I looked it up, and as far as I can tell, it's true. But it was a small group uh, that uh, they, had a, they had a woman in their small group had just been through some incredible difficulties in her life, had come to know Jesus, and uh, just had found great comfort in that, obviously. And it had been a Huge thing for her. One of her favorite verse was 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out all fear. And that's what she had in her life. She had lived in all this fear and oppression and, and the love of Jesus and, and his salvation had brought her freedom from that. And so for her birthday, they called the baker and they said to him, we want you to put on there 1 John 4.18. And he said, do you want me to put anything else? I said, oh, yeah, just put love, your, you know, the name of the group. But the baker thought they were saying, we want you to put on there first, John 4, 18. Second, the name. That's how he understood it. First John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. John 4, 18 says, the fact that you've had five husbands and the man you are now with is not even your husband. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. We will make mistakes. It's so comforting to know that Jesus didn't say, go and don't make mistakes. Because I make mistakes. There are people here who can attest to the fact that I make mistakes and they have forgiven me for my mistakes. And I'm thankful for that. And God doesn't say that. He says, I want you to go. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1, 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And, and so what, what is he saying? He's saying it is the power. God is the power. It's not us. It's not us. So first of all, remember, who is at work? God's at work. The second thing I want you to see is Acts 6-7. This is the next kind of in a sense, big, big event. So the word of God spread. 
The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, this is, this is what struck me when I read that. Who were the people who opposed Jesus the hardest? It was the priests, the priests especially. Why? Because it was finances for them. The chief priests, the scribe, this, this was a huge financial thing for them. They would be someone that we would think is the last person. They're the ones that helped put him to death. So what's going on here? It's teaching us something. Who is too far away? They would be the furthest away from Jesus that I could imagine in that culture. And it said a whole bunch of the priests have given themselves to the faith. No one is too far away. There are probably some people in your life that you're like, nope, no chance for that. That, one, that person is so, I can't even talk to them. I can't even, I can't even uh, break down the walls. No one is too far away. Um, when we moved into our house that we're in right now, the very first day, um, I tried to introduce myself to a neighbor and he just didn't want to talk to me. And, and it has been this sense of tension and I don't know why. Uh, maybe he, had, he has one kid and we have five and so our kids were too noisy or they were too obnoxious or whatever. And, and, and it was just ugliness. And, um, and it kind of came to a head a little bit and I think maybe it was a good thing. And I, I just went to him this past week and I said, look, I don't know what's going on, but there's tension and I don't want it. It's not my, that's not what I want in, my, in this. And I said, I'm really sorry if there, something has offended you or whatever, but I don't want this. And he says, we're good, it's okay. And he stuck out his hand and shook my hand. And he said, if you need anything, let me know. And I walked away going, God, are you laughing at me? I, I just can't believe this. I just was so sure this guy hated us. And I don't, know, I don't know what it is, but I do know now that I'm a little excited about the possibilities of being able to share with this neighbor. And, and, and only God did it. I did not do it. I did not help it at all. Um, so only God did it. Who is too far away? Uh, as I was studying this, God was like, Bob, are you looking at what you're studying? Are you thinking about this? Who is too far away? No one is too far away. No one's too far away. The next verse, I want you to see Acts 8.1, also Acts 8.4 there. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout, um, scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Those who had not been scattered I am, really. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. All right, so this persecution breaks out, and uh, Jesus is telling them, I want you to go to Jerusalem, then Judea, and then Samaria. And what was happening? The church was growing in Jerusalem, in Judea, and the church was growing in Samaria, and it was a happy, nice little community, and people were loving it and feeling comfortable, and persecution breaks out. Now, persecution is a bad thing. It's not helpful. I mean, it hurts people. But God used it to work out his plan. He used it in an interesting way. An act that was intended by the authorities to destroy the church became the key to the growth of the church. 
It was the very thing that caused the church to grow. Think about that. Think about that. I know sometimes people write about, they're worried about what's happening in our country and that Christians will be persecuted. But I think one of the things that's happening in our country also is that God is working through that. He's working through that. And so those who want to destroy the church become the catalyst for its growth. Because what happened? The church spread all over. The church had gotten comfortable and persecution broke out and they were pushed out and they went everywhere preaching Jesus Christ. Just what Jesus told them to do and they maybe were slowing down a little bit on the job. And so here's the question, who's got the job? Who's got the job to spread? We do, I do, you do. That's why the persecution happened to get people out sharing the gospel. God has people in your world that he wants you to reach out to. You will feel inadequate probably, and that's probably a good thing because it makes you realize how much you need God in this. But if you never take a risk, you will never know the joy of being used by God to impact people's lives. I did not, I, I could been, have been comfortable in just saying there's like a giant fence between me and my next door neighbor, and that's the way it is because he doesn't like Jesus. That must be what it is, right? We all want to frame it. It's not me. It's not something I did. It's because of, because of Jesus. And I decided to take a risk and just go talk to him. Just go talk to him. More than just surface talk, which had always been what we'd done. Hi, hi, how are you? Fine. <clears throat> and now, now we take a risk. And things happen. We change lives. How do we do it? It's going, to be how, it's going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit, but then it's going to change the way we live with people. It's going to change the way we talk, the things we say to people. And so we have that job. Next summary statement, Acts 9.31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers after the persecution. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. I love how they say that. They added, they, added, they, had, they, they were experiencing a peace, but they were living in the fear of the Lord. That is not, oh, God's gonna bonk us on the head. It was that sense of, we gotta keep going. We gotta keep going. But there's something interesting here that, um, as I've studied this, a lot of people don't say anything about, it, and I thought this, was pretty, thought this was pretty key. Over and over in the book of Acts, the word numbers comes up. The word number comes up. They counted. When it said 3,000 were saved, it's because they counted. And it talks about them increasing in numbers, and it talks about the numbers who followed. And I say this because every once in a while, someone will say something, and it sounds very spiritual. You know, the church is not about numbers. We're into quality, not quantity. And it sounds spiritual, and there's some truth to it. But here's the problem. The problem is this. We need to be real clear about something. When they say numbers, you know what they're saying? People. People, individual human beings. So numbers are important because numbers are real people. My wife and I had five kids. If we'd have gone away on a vacation and come back with three, people would have said, what's going on? You got three kids. And we say, yeah, but they're three quality kids. We're not into numbers, right? No, no, we wouldn't say that. Why? Because each one of them is important. They're people. They matter. So who matters to God? Who matters to God? 
everyone. In our, uh, in our membership class, we, we talk about values that we have as a church. And our first value is, and it, it's, it sounds so simple and almost kind of like, duh, but we, we put it down. Our first value is people matter. People matter. That's so important. People matter. They matter more than institutions. They matter more than programs. They matter more. All, all those other things are geared to serving people. That's the core of it in that sense. So here we look at this. Everyone matters to God. Everyone in this room matters to God. Everybody right now driving around on the peninsula, they matter to God. Everyone going into Food Lion, everyone going, waiting to return stuff to stores, everyone going wherever they're going, they matter to God. Every human being, I know this is obvious, every person matters to God. Every one of them is a person Jesus died for. And for a church to say, we're just going to focus totally on us, is wrong. We've got to look outward. We can't be just inward. And so tomorrow, let me just say, maybe a discipline for the week, a hard thing to do for the week. But every day this week, try to remember to do this. As you go through your day, every once in a while, just look around the people around you. And mentally say to yourself, that person matters to God. That person matters to God. That person matters to God. That person really ticks me off, but still that person matters to God. That person matters to God. Every single one. Because people are important. You've never laid eyes on another human being for whom Jesus Christ did not give his life for on the cross. Next statement. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Those who were picked from the beginning of time. And the question here is, what's at stake? What's at stake? You know, this is the big, important thing for us. What is kind of the bottom line? What's at stake here? Eternity. Eternity is what it's, everyone matters, but eternity is what's at stake. Eternity is on the line for every human being that you know and I know. And Jesus taught about this a lot. And I know when it comes to talking about things like heaven and hell, sometimes churches and teachers and leaders have spoken in ways that I feel are manipulative or superficial or simplistic. I mean, I know that. I know that. But it is quite clear from the word of God that human beings are destined for eternity. This is the reality of it all. Everyone is destined for either an eternity with God in relationship and joy unspeakable with him or eternity apart from God, apart from hope, apart from love. The worst things we can imagine. And what we have to offer is not us. It's not our ability to argue doctrine. It's not our ability to have convincing words. Or it's not even our good deeds. It is Jesus. He is the hope of the human race. That's all. That's the bottom line. The reality of his life, the wonder of his teaching, the concreteness of his presence, 
the gift of his death on the cross and the hope of his resurrection. That's life in the kingdom. This is what we have to offer. Okay, the disciples did not start spreading out and going out through all the world and, and saying, you know, we're, we, if, if we can do this for you, you will, your lives will be better. We'll do this thing. We'll help you with this. And I'm not against water projects. I'm not against build projects. I'm not against those things. Those things are great tools. But ultimately, what happens is the bottom line has to come through. This is all about eternity. Because this is not a low-stakes deal. This is not a pastime. This is not an organization. This is about eternity. Finally, the end of Acts, Acts 28. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Luke is writing this, this concluding this history book that he's written. And we've, we can wonder what happened to Paul. We can wonder, does, you know, how did his trial go? We have hints in other parts of Scripture, but we don't really know for sure. And Luke doesn't tell us for sure, because that's a different story. But the story Luke wants us to see is that Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And now in Acts 28, we're seeing it going. It's going. The horse is out of the barn. And there's no getting it back. It's just going. And Paul is a part of it. And Paul has been arrested for, for being a follower of Jesus Christ, and he's being held for this trial in front of Caesar. And it's just so interesting. I love this. When a person, when a trial could be a life or death trial, by law, in Roman law, they had a member of the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard were the elite of, of the Roman forces. They guarded Caesar and they guarded prisoners. And so they would take eight-hour shifts being chained to a prisoner. And so Paul had three Guards a day come in and get chained to him. Can you imagine that? The world's greatest evangelists, you know, they come in, huh? Paul be like, I'm so glad to see you. You think I'm your prisoner. You're my prisoner for eight hours, right? And he witnessed. And then in Philippians 4, 22, Paul writes, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. He converted some of those guards because they were considered a part of Caesar's household. Can you imagine that? In the, in, in, in the realm of power of Rome, in the very household of the Caesar were Christians who were working and sharing and loving and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Final question then is, what have I got to lose? What have I got to lose? If I'm going to take this all seriously, and we have to answer this, what have I got to lose? I believe the answer is nothing of any consequence. Sometimes following Jesus demands our time. Sometimes following Jesus demands finances or possessions or effort or labor. And it would be, it would be um, wrong if I didn't tell you there are people, sometimes it demands their life. It has happened to millions of people in the last 2,000 years. But what have I got to lose? I want to give my life to the one thing that really matters. That is the kingdom of God. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. 
I don't do a great job at it sometimes. But that's what I want. Because that's the only thing that really, really matters. And so for us, we have to start to think, what's, what, what, what could be keeping me from it? Embarrassment, fear, maybe the success I might be having in my life that keep me from being a person who is willing to follow God completely. The people in Acts 28 believed the gospel of Jesus Christ was worth dying for. And the people who are writing Acts 29 are gripped with the same belief. And now it's us. Do we decide, I want to become one of yours, God. I want to become someone who's following you and open to what you want me to do. I, I said this earlier in 20, for us as a church. Part of this is figuring out what God is doing and then latching on to that and being a part of it. Where is he moving? Let's get involved in that. What is he doing? Let's get involved in that. And then we become like people like Cornelius or Paul or Silas or Priscilla and Aquila. Those people who said, yeah, this is, this is worth everything to me. Worth everything to me. Because God wants you to be a part of writing Acts 29. He wants you specifically, individually, to be another part of, the, of this grand <clears throat> movement that is changing people's lives for eternity. I mean, that's an amazing thing. You have the ability. You can go out right now, and you can, you could, maybe you could withdraw thousands of dollars if you have it, withdraw thousands of dollars, and you could hand it to somebody, somebody who's desperate, and they could say, you've changed my life but you haven't really changed their life. You've altered their situation for a while and maybe they do good with it and maybe they don't. But you can also go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and sometimes that involves money, but sometimes it doesn't. And you can watch someone's life change for eternity. That's an amazing thing. That is greater than anything else. There's nothing else in this world worth giving your life to than that. Let's pray. Father, um, as we look at your word, as we think about what you're doing, as we think about our own lives, help us to make decisions in this upcoming year that honor and glorify you, Lord. We want to be a part of what you're doing. We want to be a part of changing hearts and lives for eternity. And so, Lord, we humbly come to you and say, use me. I pray for everyone here. God, maybe you're impressing decisions that need to be made on people's hearts and that they would have the courage to follow through and the, and the, uh, the discipline, the dedication to see it through in spite of the difficulties and dealing with other people and lives that they're involved with. And Father, also this week, help us to have eyes open to the people around us. Help us to not let them become just part of the scenery, but to be, understand there are people that you love dearly, people your son died for, and help, them to, help us to see them differently because of that, to be thinking, what can I do? What can I do? Lord, we don't want to be foolish. We don't want to be ignorant. We want to be wise in this. But also, Lord, we want to be faithful. And we look forward. Help us to be found faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.